Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Undivided, episode number 14, Being a Leader Instead of Being a Boss. Today is Wednesday, the 17th of January. The year is 2018. Happy New Year again to all of you out there. Our show is being brought to you by Audible.com. That's Audible.com, the sponsor of this program and many of the programs here on the Life Coach Radio Network and family of networks. Audible.com for all your audiobook needs as the full selection and collection of audiobooks for spoken audio. It's audible.com. Welcome to Undivided. This is episode number 14. We are live here, 7 o'clock on the East. I'm your host, Frank J. Maduri. Being a leader instead of a boss, tonight I am joined by Scott Krause, very special guest, very special friend of mine, my best friend. We've worked together in many different situations, many different jobs, many different companies along the way. So I know how he works. He knows how I work. And he has done a lot with managing people in some recent stops. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, leadership versus being a boss. It's a divide that can be argued. It's a divide that has separated the workplaces and methodologies surrounding work for many years. Workplace stress can divide people from each other, can divide teams, can divide a person internally. So that's the crux of what we're going to be talking about tonight is the role of managers or, or bosses in the workplace. Many surveys say that workplace stress, the number one cause of it is a boss or a team. If you're on a, a team that's underperforming or a team where there's a lot of stress or anxiety, those are two big causes of workplace unhappiness, which can leave people feeling unmotivated and affect performance overall. If you have an authoritative authoritarian style boss that can leave people feeling belittled unappreciated undervalued or unimportant from the coaching perspective we're going to get into that as far as the role of coaching in leadership the role of coaching in organizations and businesses uh, the role of coaching and the harm that some of managerial styles can do to company morale so we're going to get into that a little bit as well as I took the small business track, uh, coaching track, when I went through uh, IPEC. So I'm familiar with a lot of the challenges that face organizations, small businesses, when it comes to managerial styles. And as I mentioned, Scott Krause is very graciously joining us tonight as our special guest. Uh, Scott has been involved in a number of different roles in the telecommunications industry. Uh, has also worked in the pharmaceutical industry for Bering Ergelheim, where we actually work together, by the way. Uh, has worked with uh, Comcast Universal and is now currently with Hunter Technologies. So we're going to get into uh, Scott's uh, background uh, managing people, especially in the sales management, sales team, 
organizational uh, type of role, how you motivate people, contrasting styles in leadership. It's a divide that has really uh, comes to the crux of what people face each day at work. All of us could probably tell a story about a job that we left or a job that we were unhappy with because of a manager that might have been a micromanager, a manager that might have been a bullying type of figure, a manager who might have uh, ruled by intimidation and made you feel just completely invisible and completely unimportant. So from the coaching side, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in how do you move forward from there? We're going to talk about that tonight. How do you bridge the divide? As this show is always trying to find out what's some common ground where we can move forward and help people that might feel hopeless in those situations that might feel hopeless or stuck in a job where they're undervalued or unappreciated. So with that, we're going to get Scott here on board. So bear with me for a second. Hello. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Frank, Scott, you there? welcome to Undivided. How's it going? Yeah, thanks so much. I, I, I definitely appreciate the uh, the invite. I mean, we've been friends for many years, so this is a different platform than we usually have to uh, to talk and kind <clears> of <throat> talk about life. So, yeah, and I, I definitely appreciate the uh, opportunity. I, I, I love the forum and what you uh, – some of your other topics, so. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, this is a great topic. It's a topic you came up with, so i got to give you credit for that too. Uh, it's a topic that has received some great response and audience feedback, excuse me. So we're going to get to some of the questions from the audience as well. Uh, okay. So let's dive in as far as contrasting styles. Uh, what's your experience with micromanagers and people in, of that type? Well, I mean, I always, I always look at it, and one of, my, one of my best managers always said, like, people don't leave companies, they leave people. So, you know, I, I kind of took that to heart and, and when I, when I got it, so when I first got out of college, I, I managed a small like brokerage um, company where I wound up having like 15 reps underneath me, but I was, in, I was way too young to really understand the responsibility and what I was actually doing with, you know, no training. So my, my second um, foray into that a couple of years ago, I was much more prepared and um, had a team of anywhere from seven people to 13 people. And, you know, having bad bosses, which, you know, um, we both have. We both had terrible bosses. Can, Frank, can you remember any um, any ones that stick out, like, really vividly? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There, there are a couple, and, and, there's... And, and they're stopped. No, go ahead. Oh no no go ahead. Oh, okay so yeah so I I can think of some of the some of the bosses I've had in the past and typically the 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 the, the cadence of of how they interact with us and, and you know their team was always you know somewhat self-serving whether it be they were being very um, you know you could tell that they had no feeling of 
you know, you know, any any other understanding of other than I just want to I just want to get ahead myself. I don't care what you do as long as what you do moves me in the right direction, and that comes across. There's nothing, you know. There's there's something to be said for people that are that are like very straightforward and honest and um, like genuine because it comes across and it's something you can't fake. And when you have a manager, and I can think of one in particular, I worked at a telecom company right after the, my first company. Uh, I worked at a company called Network Plus, and you know, he, I had a manager that was pretty much just a lunatic. He took the role of a coach, but he would not take any criticism whatsoever. He never, um, he was never wrong, and he would go on long diatribes about just whatever was in his head that day. And it was just very self-serving. I swear he just liked to hear himself talk, and he would go on for, he would go on for 20 minutes on, on, on these different tangents, and it was just, like, entirely too much. And then if you did something that he deemed questionable, he would then berate you in front of, in front of, um, in front of the entire, like, uh, room, which I had experience with when I first started managing at Comcast not too long ago, I had a I had a rep and he had did, done something wrong in a meeting and I brought it up in a meeting and I knew immediately once I did that that it was the wrong thing to do. And I talked to my boss at the time, Mike, and he said you you praise in public and you and you scold in private, which really stuck with me and I never did that again. Yep. So, yes, that yeah, someone else just told me that recently as well. Because nobody wants, nobody, you know, nobody wants, that's not motivating to get scolded right in front of your peers. You know, he, you know, if I did it in a private setting, he probably would have never done it again. But if you do it in a public setting, what happens is it, they, they, you know, can turn resentful. And the most important thing, at least I feel for, for managers, and especially in my role, like where, you know, I'm doing sales, the most important thing for me is that my people trust me and feel comfortable with me and want to work for me. And, you know, the most successful managers I had, I didn't even think about it. I just, I just did my job and busted my butt, um, not only for myself, because I wanted to make my manager happy. So, you know, and to me, like the, the best, the best managers are just ones that are, are very, um, you know, very genuine and they have more, they care more about, you know, just themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Um, how do you think that the actions of a manager or their style can impact the performance of a team or, or for a company? I mean, I think, I think it's everything. I think like, I think you need to, you know, to really, to really get the most out of people, you need to connect with them. And one of the biggest things that, the managers I've had in the past that were not very good would do is they would treat every single person the same. And unfortunately you can't treat a 21 year old, you know, college, you know, recent college grad the same way that you would treat a 43 year old person that has 15 years in sales. There's just no way you can treat them different, you know, the same. And if you do, you're going to, you're going to get bad results. So if you talk to them on a human level at, whatever it is that is motivating them. And that's really the, that's really the big thing is if you can 
connect with people in a genuine way and understand where, um, you know, what, what is the motivation? My motivation is I have two kids and I have a family, I have a mortgage, and everything I do is to, to provide a life and, a, and, and, a, and the things that I would like to provide for my family. So somebody that's managing me understands that that is much more important than me buying a new BMW. And, you know, they bring, you know, the, you know, so when I used to talk to people, I would, you know, my guys, my team, I would say, hey, like, what is it, what is like a reach goal for you? Like, what would you like to do? And I had one guy that was like, I want a BMW M3. I'm like, okay, he's a car guy. That's cool. So I have him put a picture on the wall of that, of that car because it's always something that's right in front of him that's like a reminder, okay, it's 4 o'clock, I could go home right now, or I could push harder to get to where I need to be, and if that's where I want to be, that's where I need to be. <clears throat> um, one, of the, one of the things that I did with, um, with my team is I had all, I think it was eight people on my team. I said, if you had $10,000 right now that I handed you a check for $10,000 and you had to do something that was not practical, you cannot pay bills, you cannot do anything like that, what would you do? with that money. And I had him write it on a piece of paper and I had him give it to me. And then what I did is based on their answers, I picked who I thought wrote what answer. And to me, and I, and luckily I got it all right on, on, on for that. Um, but the purpose of that was, is to, is to let my team know that when they're talking, I'm listening because if they know that I'm listening and I care, and I understand what they're saying, and I understand them as a person, then they're going to connect with me and they're going to work harder. So I think, it, I think like, when you talk about upper management, upper management at my company when I worked at Comcast was always very, um, was very good about saying, hey, you know what, you guys have the biggest impact on our day-to-day -day sales. Like a sales manager is like in the trenches with them. So I think it's very important to, um, you know, and I think there's a lot of ability to um, make an organization either succeed or fail. Sure, absolutely. And I've had experience too, too on both sides of that where I've seen, um, I've seen either other managers or a manager of my own say to us, okay, what are your goals or what are your objectives for your own personal development? And there's others that didn't really care, quite honestly, what your personal development was. As you alluded to before, it was just about, you know, making the goals and making them look good. And then I had another guy that, you know, really tried to intimidate a lot of people. I remember that team very well. It was like a, a cross-functional team of people doing different things. And he tried to kind of lord things over people and dress down people if you get the expression in, in front of other people at meetings like he would uh, bring up things that they either made mistakes on and you know make you feel really uh, really small if you will uh, for lack of a better expression and then I remember when I uh, left there I said to uh, another uh, senior manager used to be my supervisor and then they changed some things there and I said to him you know you better be careful you know with this guy because he's really unpredictable and sure enough he let go the guy that I used to report to in front of the entire company they brought him into the conference room and he 
like brought up all these things that you know he did quote unquote wrong in front of the like the entire company, like people that used to report to him. And he called me after it happened and he told me it was like the worst, most embarrassing moment of his life. It's crazy, huh? Yeah, I mean that that's that stuff just you know, that doesn't get you anywhere. That is it's it's like self serving, it's also it's not it's not productive and nobody comes out of that feeling good except you know, except the one person that's doing it because they think that they're like they're proving a point. They're like, Oh well, you know, our performance is, is hurting because so look as John over here can't figure out how to how to present the uh, our, our merchandise properly, whatever it is, you know, and it's like that's not helping anybody. So yeah, that's definitely um not the right track. It's not. We're about fifteen minutes into our show. Uh, this is Undivided episode number 14. We are live here on the East Coast, the snowy East Coast, here in New Jersey at Life Coach Radio Network headquarters. Being a leader instead of a boss, we'll be back in a second. Uh, but first, we have an upcoming show promotion. Trina Ramsey comes your way with her gang, Sisters of the Diaspora. New episode comes your way. Thursday, January the 18th, that's tomorrow, at 7 p.m. over on the Life Coach chat channel. That's Trina Ramsey, Sisters of the Diaspora, a brand new episode, Thursday night, tomorrow night, January the 18th, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Life Coach chat channel. Give from the heart here as the New Year starts. The holiday donation buzz is decreased. Give from the heart if you can. Catholic Charities, 1-800-919-9338. That's 800-919-9338. SalvationArmyUSA.org. www.redcross.org. Salvation Army allows you to enter your zip code and donate to your local community. Some of the things happening in local communities and homeless problems and people suffering from food insecurity, consider donating today. Here on the Life Coach Radio Network, we're back on Undivided Episode number 14. Being a leader instead of a boss, Frank J. Maduri here, your host, Scott Krause, along with me as my special guest this evening. We were talking before the break about our experiences, kind of shared experiences with micromanagers and authoritative and authoritarian-style bosses. What's been your experience, Scott, trying to change that within your own career? I know you shared a little bit before. Uh, what's been your experience in trying to change that and, and what maybe brought about some of those changes? So, so let me just clarify the question. So you're asking um, the interaction that I've had with authoritative bosses and then how I've, like, pivoted away from be, trying to be that type of boss? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I probably should have clarified that a little bit. No, no, it's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, when you have a when you have a bad boss, it seems like it's never going to end. And and like you said, and when you're in the opening is, you know, your boss or your team. Like when we did pharmaceutical sales, it was like if you had a good boss, it was like eighty percent your team and twenty percent your boss because your boss was cool. Um, if you're, if, but if your team was and your team was no good, it was very hard to get both synced up. Um, or you were, you know, you're, you're, you're 80% of your team and 20% your boss, whatever it was. So, it, I mean, they play such a, a vital role 
And just as an example, like when I worked at Beringer Ingelheim, my first boss was Jaime Navarro. He's the one that hired me into the industry. I'd never had experience before. And he was amazing. Like, you know, I immediately connected with him when I interviewed with him. He was just very um, down to earth. He was very like, he was definitely like a mentor. Um, and he goes down as like, you know, top two managers or people that I, you know, I still keep in contact with him. And he just was like a very positive, um, you know, influence in my, in my career. And I still to this day when I have questions about my career and like, should I do this? Or what do you think about this? I, I, I often give him a call. Um, but, you know, when you have a bad boss, which I definitely, I, I, I mean, I worked at, a, I worked at a, a sports advertising company in Manhattan for five years and in doing inside sales. And it might have been like five of the worst professional years of my life. Um, I had bosses that did nothing but berate people all day. And it was a very small um, boys club of people that had started when, when the company had just uh, basically just started. So it was like impossible to get into the inside. And even if you were, it was just a toxic environment. And I, you know, I left that saying, like, if I was ever going to be, you know, if I was ever going to manage people, that I would not manage them in that way. Just as like fear and like, you know, they would have numbers of how many phone calls you made and how productive were you and why, you know, why are you doing this while this person is doing that? So I always tried to <clears throat> look. Now, there's, there's a certain part of sales or any kind of management that has to do with numbers, like numbers speak. Um, but a lot of times it's more important to get down to the, the reason why people are doing what they're doing. Um, and, you know, I was pretty successful at Comcast, and I, you know, I was there for five years. I had five different jobs, and I, I, I account a lot of that to some very, very good managers. I had some, some pretty, pretty bad ones in the beginning, and not that they were bad. They were just more like hands-off and weren't very helpful. Um, until I met my, um, my manager, Mike, and he was, I mean, he was great. He, uh, he never, he never let me, he never, he never gave me the answer to anything. He always challenged me. And he always, if I would say, I don't know what to do in this situation, he would always push me to like, try to figure it out myself. Cause it's much more, it's much more satisfying if you can get to the right answer yourself. And I took those, um, those examples. So I guess I learned more from the people that were positive and the people that were negative. I, I could very easily identify that I don't want to be like this person, but it takes, a, it takes some positive forces in your life and positive people in your life to, like, really give good examples of, like, how you want to conduct yourself. Sure, and what's sad is those examples tend to be fewer and further between, and so that's where you really have to latch on to a situation when it's right and and I remember you and I talking about that in different roles that we've had, different jobs that we've been in together, and different jobs where you've worked one place and I've worked another, and we've talked about it. Uh, yeah, I was talking to one of the guys we used to work with at, at BI the other day, and it, he was saying the same thing. It's either, you know, bad manager or bad team or combination of the both. That's that's the reason why people leave that industry um, and, and tend to leave certain sales positions uh, is is one or the other or both? You could either have something sync up, as you said, or or something kind of go the other direction on you. And he had you know different changes there, and and uh, trying to to roll with the punches uh, with you know whether your territory changes or you've got 
you know, a different uh, setup there as far as what your uh, deliverables are supposed to be and your goals are supposed to be. It's constantly evolving. Uh, do you find that it's hard to uh, motivate people when the expectations are unclear? Um, I think it's hard to motivate some people. I think some people can definitely be motivated, and that comes down to, like, understanding who they are as people and why they're in the role and why they do what they do. Um, and I just think that some I – I always said I can teach you how to do this job, but I can't teach you to want to do this job. And that was the hardest thing. And that's really probably the reason that I got out of being a manager and went more into a direct, um, you know, a direct contributor role, the role that I'm in right now, is because I had too many people that, you know, were in. And this also goes to working for a big corporation where, uh, like, I loved working at Comcast. It was like, and people are like, oh, Comcast is a terrible company. Well, that may be true. And that may be your impression of it as a cable company. But as a, as a company and of the management I had and the people that I worked with, it was like some of the best people I've ever worked with. So for me, just like getting an, under, getting an understanding of kind of, um, you know, kind of where you want to go uh, and understanding like, you know, who's going to help you get there. But I lost, I lost my train of thought for a second, Frank. That's okay. That's okay. It's um it's important to to I think grab on to what would motivate people on an individual basis. Like you said before, the uh, picture of the BMW is a good example, or if someone's motivated because they have a family to support. Um, in my own experience, I've always done better when the expectations are clear versus when they're changing or evolving. Um, and some of that is the nature of the beast, too. You know, they say, well, you know, you guys did X number of business, you know, last year at this time, so we're going to take that number and, you know, jack it up a bit, uh, which which tends to happen as well. Uh, but if the expectation is, okay, this is uh, what I'm supposed to hit as far as uh, a revenue target or as far as a sales goal or as uh, units sold or whatever it is, I tend to do better with that and having some figure in my head and then breaking that down saying, okay, then I have to do you know, X number of sales calls a week to see if I can, you know, convert some of those to, to sales of, you know, Y number of units. And so that helps me, whereas other people have a different approach or a different style uh, and, and may approach that situation differently. Uh, as a, a leader, you're supposed to, uh, facilitate both of those personalities, if you will, or approaches. Uh, a boss tends to, uh, especially different types of bosses, either persuasive, or if they're using something that's, you know, again, a very uh, authoritarian type of approach, they don't really care. They just want to look good. Uh, would you tend yeah. to agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the thing the thing with with a bad boss is they, they all they care about is the is the numbers, and they care about what the numbers are that day or that month or that quarter or what, however they're being measured, and you know they look at it like <clears throat> they have to answer somebody, which they do. So I, I I get that, but really, like a good boss understands people, understands how to motivate them, and understands that if you if you build the business the right way, then the long term net of it is is going to be a better performance overall. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen that month, and sometimes people don't have the time to be able to do that. 
But what I, one, of the, one of the things that I did is I always tried to identify whoever the most motivated person on my team was and who I could, who I could coach and who I could talk, um, who I could talk with on a, on a real level and motivate them to be the superstar on my team. Because I always felt like, you know, people needed to believe that it was possible to be successful. Because in a company where they have 100 sales reps and, like, four or five of them are, make a ton of money, you know, like a bell curve, like a ton of, you know, there's four or five people that make a ton of money, everybody's pretty much in the middle, and then there's a ton of people in where there's another, you know, section of the people that are on the bottom. So if you don't have some of those high performers on your team, you have to, you have to, build, you have to build one of those people up from the ground up on your team. Um, I always felt because the team needs to believe that it's possible. And if they see the transformation of somebody that went from just a rep and then they get promoted, which to me was always the biggest feather on my cap is getting somebody promoted or like, you know, they always, it was always them that did it. But for me, um, just the fact that I was able to help move them in the right direction or kind of guide them or be like a mentor was always the most gratifying. So I think like just, you know, kind of having the right outlook, not, not wanting to like, beat people up and and have people and and wanting to wanting people to succeed and having more the joy of like being like okay yeah my team did really well but like look at how look at how this person's life changed like they came here and it didn't look good they weren't doing well and you took the team over and now you're able to you know point them in the right direction and now things are just different for them so i i think it's i think it's so important to like you said lay out the right goals which are important. Like when, when things are ambiguous, it's the worst. Like you just never know where you're at and you kind of think you're in this like limbo world. Um, but if there's, there's a clear set of expectations, not just numbers, not like, okay, here's what you need to sell every month. Well, how about breaking that down? Like how about this is, this is the activity that we need. I used to say a Comcast would be four hours, cold calling four hours a day, four days a week. And because and, if you just say, hey, go out there and cold call, like, what does that mean? Does that mean an hour? Does that mean 12 hours? But if you break it down and say, I need four hours a day, exactly. four days a week, and you build the right relationships with vendors and whoever it might be, you will then be successful at this job. There is a formula. I understand how to do it. It's the reason I'm in the business I am. And if you trust me and go with me, I will make you, you know, I will help you become a, uh, a very successful person at this place. So, I think it's important to have these, um, you know, expectations laid out. That's an excellent answer. Thank you. We're at 7.31, just past the midpoint of our show. And as you know, we take a midpoint of the show break before we enter our next segment, which is called Bridging the Divide here on Undivided, which looks at the divisions that can be caused through a variety of different factors, societal barriers, workplace barriers, et cetera, and so forth. But here we are, 731 on the East Coast, and upcoming show promotion for you, Maria and Jen's show. Maria and Jen, back at you with a new episode. Again, tomorrow, Thursday, January the 18th, 7 p.m. Central Time, so 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Life Coach Radio Network. That's Maria and Jen. Brand new episode for them. Thursday, January the 18th, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern, over on Life Coach Radio Network. They've tackled some really interesting topics if you're unfamiliar with their show, and they do a great job as a duo of balancing 
that show through. And then Paul Garwood, the latest entrant into Life Coach Radio Network, Paul Garwood's show, Push Through, which debuted a couple of weeks ago. He's on to episode number three. That comes your way on Sunday nights. So that's 8 p.m. Sunday, January the 21st at 8 p.m. on Life Coach chat channel. That's 8 p.m. Eastern Sunday, the 21st. Paul Garwood show Push Through, which tackles uh, mental illness and mental health and talking about taking those steps through different forms of mental illness and different stages of mental illness, which leads us to uh, Food for the Poor, 800-427-9104. Again, 800-427-9104. Food for the Poor works in the poorest areas of the world in Latin America and South America and Mexico and the Caribbean. Those areas are very hard hit by some recent disasters. 800-427-9104 for food for the poor. And also SalvationArmyUSA.org if you want to give locally. And speaking of mental illness and mental health and Paul Garwood's show, which is excellent, by the way, and he has some really interesting guests on. I recently talked with a woman that had been through a lot of different things in both her life and in her career and trying to balance a family while having different anxiety and mental uh, disorders. If you or someone you love is suffering, you or someone you love or know is really dealing with something that they can't get past, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800 273 8255. You matter, and there are people there that are listening. Every life's important. Please call them or please tell someone that you know or love. Urge them to call. Life is too important and too precious. We're back here on Undivided episode number 14. Being a leader instead of a boss. French and Missouri, your host, Scott Krause, along with me. And Scott, you know, before the break, now we enter the Bridging the Divide segment. I'm going to open the phone line. 646-716-9397 is the phone number. 646-716-9397. Please call in if you want to join our conversation from now until the end of the show. The phone lines are open. Number is 646-716-9397. If you want to email us, it's undivided show. That's undivided, S-H-O-W at gmail.com, and a reminder that this episode is being brought to you by audible.com. So as we return, we are talking and now bridging the divide segment. We were talking about being a boss and knowing people that have been very authoritative, uh, micromanaging, uh, bullying, uh, degrading in front of people. So how do we bridge that divide that, and it's a two-part question tonight. So I'll let you take the first part and then the second. How can we bridge the divide that exists between being a leader instead of a boss? And then the second part is, how do we bridge that divide that those, that effect can have on people and teams, people feeling divided internally or maybe feeling ostracized because they're not one of the, the boss's guys, quote-unquote, 
uh, they're not part of that crowd. So I'll let you take the first part and then the second. So I think the the most important thing is, you know, I mean, some people like if, if you have a manager that's been doing something for thirty years and and they're and they're stuck in their ways, they are they are like they are who they are. So I think understanding like where like where you should pick your spots. I think the opportunity. <clears throat> For somebody like myself or somebody like you that's managing people is you show them a good example. You show them like, like if you show people respect, you treat them the right way. You, you, you get respect from people because you care about them then, and, you, and you teach them how to do a particular job or skill or whatever it might be. If you teach them the right way then they're going to teach other people the right way and it's just going to have a domino effect. So I think it's important that like we can do what we can only do what we can do. We're not going to change certain people. Certain people are going to be the way they are. And if we can accept that and just, and just say, okay, my role is okay. Yes. It's my role. I have, I have a couple different roles. My role is for the company. I need to make the company money. Number two is I need to be, I need to make myself money. Number three is I need to put my reps in a position <clears throat> where they can get to wherever they need to be if their goal, and like you said, what we talked about is I always talk to them about, hey, where do you want to be in a couple of years? And it seems like a little cliche, but it's, it's important because if you want, <clears throat> if you have somebody that is a career salesperson doesn't want to be in management, then it's good to know that because that person is going to be, is going to be motivated differently than somebody that is like, hey, I want a management role. I want to move into a director's role. I want to move into whatever the next possible thing is. So understanding that, and I always, what I would do is I would, I would go out cold calling with my reps and I would go, I would go to lunch and I would just say, Hey, at lunch, we're going to go over some, some goals. We're going to go over some work goals because I want to know how much money you need to make, how much money you would like to make. And then I'm going to talk about professional goals. Like, where do you see yourself? Do you want to be in a, do you want to be in a management role? Do you want to be um, in that? If you treat people with respect, and you and you respect their opinions and ask them questions and understand them and what what motivates them well that should generate an entire other generation not generation but another like flow of other people because they're going to if they, if you if you do it properly and they're and they're the right people then they're going to they're going to take the examples that you've given them and manage other people the same way and you might, you know, so you, so the, the, the kind of manager you are now is like, so when I worked at Comcast and Mike was my, well, Mike was my manager, like, I don't know how he became the person that he did. He might've been that person from when he was five years old. He might've been just a person that like understands how to motivate people. But it's also possible that he, he had some very good mentors along the way and he passed to me the way he was, which then gave me the ability to pass it to people that I got promoted into management and having other opportunities at the company. So I think we can, we, we should do what we're able to do. And I think that's what's right in front of us. And it's important that we, um, we just, you know, we just, we just lead in the right manner that gives these people the opportunity to do the same for the people that they're going to lead. So the old nature versus nurture debate, you don't know whether that person has been that way, you know, for their whole life or whether they had, again, an interaction with someone that may have made them that way, or if it's a combination of both, uh, they had certain qualities and, and some people I think can get jaded by having 
certain situations happen to them where they say, okay, well, if this, this guy treated me this way when he got promoted, then when I get promoted, I'm going to treat everybody, you know, basically like garbage. And I've seen that happen too, where uh, they call it almost like a power trip. Like the person gets promoted and they change. And then I've seen other people get promoted and they're exactly the same person that I knew, you know, before they got the promotion. Uh, So it's interesting how, uh, that leadership role or that elevation into a leadership role, you know, impacts people. Um, I'm sure you've probably run across that yourself. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, working in, working in corporate life and working in companies that are, um, pretty big, like you, you run into all kinds and, and you try, and I try to not be the person that is like being super gossipy you know, I put my head down and do my work, but like understanding that there's, you know, corporate, like corporate dynamics and corporate politics that goes into like being, um, you know, being successful at your, at your job. Um, but all, all that kind of stuff, navigating, you know, not only the sales, but navigating how to work through a company is also part of being like a boss or being a leader is like, is like preparing people for what the next move is. You know, my old manager used to say, like, it's, I, I, I'm not thinking about the next job. I'm thinking about the job after that. So if you think about it that way, you're just, all you're doing is making sure you're doing the right thing with the right people to put yourself in a position where, like, you know, like opportunities to, 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 to places down the road are going to be, you know, where you want to be. And he's always thinking that way. And, you know, he's been extremely successful for that. So, yeah, I think it's, I, I just think, like this is to me it's it's an interesting subject because i've had both sides i've had i've had the best managers and i've had the worst managers and i and and, I, and to me i definitely see that the the ones the managers that were the best got the most out of me and the managers that were the worst got the least out of me so i i try to interact with my people um as much as possible just like that it's a really good point it's like you said to me before, you know, we, we remember certain people, you know, you say their name and I'll be the, like, you know, like I'll, I'll think about certain people like, oh, and then there'll be other bosses we think about and say, oh yeah, that, he was cool or uh, she was great or, you know, he was very helpful or constructive. Um, how do you think you can bridge a divide between people or people and their teams? The second part of that question, is it kind of, of, of a mix of the first part? Is it a hybrid approach where part of that comes into it? If you're setting a good example and investing in them so that it also benefits the entire team and, and thereby the entire company, or is there another way? Is it more of a customized approach uh, depending on the person or, or the situation? Um, I think it's kind of a customized approach. I think you can't go into like leading any particular team or any particular person with like a game plan. Um, I think you have to, you have to be um, able to move um, basically with the person because, you know, if you, if you're just taking them over a team, which, which is something that I took, I took, you know, I took at the, when I first started managing a company, I took nine people that it, and seven of them had never worked at Comcast before and I made them into one of the, the best teams in, in the region um, just by identifying which guys were, were going to be my superstars 
And like I said, like I would work with them and I would show the other people that this person, like it's possible for this person to be successful. It's possible for you to be successful. But what that also did is I then leaned on the person that I had, had really mentored and I then had them mentor other people on the team. So I, I then were, were like delegating um, leadership responsibilities to other people, which then freed up my time to then start working on whatever the next person was. Because it's very hard to manage an entire team and give the same amount of time to everybody. And I think what you're saying, like bridging that is like balancing having all of these people and people saying, oh, I need, I need this much time with you or this person's I need, I need this much time with you. And, that, but like, I see that you're giving this more time to this person. Well, if I see that, then maybe the person that I had mentored, I will have them be like, Hey, I need you. I need you to work with this person. I really need you to like, you're, you've been successful. You started here. You didn't, you, you didn't do this job before here. So, you know, you're showing them what's possible and what's, and what's expected. I need you to now show them, you know, what it took for you to get here, what it took for you to be successful in the role that you're in. So it's not, it's not always an easy thing because some people, no matter what, like if you are a person that thinks that everything's against you and that the world's against you, then you're going to, you're going to look at it and be like, Hey, I didn't have the same chances this other person did. Um, or if you're a person that's like, Hey, I want to, like, I'm going to take whatever I can get and it's, it's on me to figure this out. And, you know, I'm going to, um, I'm going to have my time to, to learn this. Then, um, there's a good opportunity, you know, good chance that they can be successful, but you know, it comes down to being to, to, you know, how coachable are you and how willing are you to take direction and, and how, how much can you trust a person? And I think if you can do all those things, then you can bridge that thing where, you know, you're giving more or less to particular people. Exactly, exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up because then we circle back to the role of coaching and personal coaching and uh, life coaching into this. And and as you said, some people are reading into it and looking at the situation saying that they have interpreted the situation in a certain way. Uh, it's an interpretation that's in, in coaching, we talk about different blocks that get in the way of people achieving their true potential. And that's one of them is they interpret a situation or then they look at it with a, a limiting sort of belief with saying, well, you know, I wasn't the, I was a middle of the road salesperson last year. So, you know, history repeats itself, you know, no matter what I do, I'm not going to crack, you know, the top 50 or whatever it is. That's a limiting belief and we can help with that. Coaching can help voice inside that inner yeah. critic that I've talked about on other shows, right? That inner critic saying, oh, you know, you're not good enough to do this, so you're never going to get the president's club or whatever it is. Deal with, with some of those things and to shift your energy into a more positive place. So those are important reasons why coaching could help. Uh, how can we manage people, as I say, we as and this is a listener oh, wait, question. Can I, can I, How can we manage? Can I, before, well, before we jump into that question, yeah, can sure. I just jump in with? Because you you brought up a really good point. So like limit like limiting like beliefs sure. and stuff. So my wife went to a um a, like a mm-hmm. kind of like a life coach women's group in New York City where it was like of like-minded people where they would meditate and they would have do lots of hippie stuff 
in this stuff, but like one of the things that like they really worked on was limiting beliefs. And, and to me, like, like it made a, it made perfect sense because somebody like I had a rep that once told me, they're like, I don't understand why my life is like it is. Like I have a wife, I have two kids, I have a house. I'm like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like I'm waiting for something bad to happen. And that's a limiting belief that, it, that, that it's like life is good right now, that there's something waiting around the corner for you. And if you can get past that idea of like, you know, now do bad things happen in life? Of course they do. But like to sit there and wait for it, it's almost like you're, you're like, wait, you're almost going to like, mani- you know, manifest it and make it happen. So I thought that was really interesting. And that's something that my wife, like one of the big points exactly. that my wife brought back when she was going to coaching. <clears throat> Yes, you talk about that, like putting it out there. If you put that intention out there, that intention is most likely going to kind of kind of pack to you. So if you're putting it out there, and there's some sort of a negative connotation there, it becomes almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whereas if you believe that I'm going to be successful, I'm going to make certain goals this year, I'm going to hit this year coming at it with a very positive, really anabolic type of uh, energy and, and methodology, um, and you have faith and you have faith in yourself, you know, good things are going to happen. Absolutely. The, I, lost, I lost my place um, looking at my notes. Oh, listener question. That's where we were. And Evans, I'm glad that you jumped in there. Uh, that was a really important point and how people can, they can set themselves up with limitations and have these beliefs that are very limiting uh, that can really block them. Uh, how, uh, how can we manage people effectively and not seem overbearing while remaining friendly with the people on your team? Interesting question. So how do we, how do we be effective, not overbearing and, but still being, what was the last part of the question? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, Not be overbearing while remaining friendly with the team. So being able to manage them, being an effective in that role without seeming like you're tasking them, I guess, with too much, but also staying on good terms, like friendly terms with them. I mean, it's not, it's not always possible. It's not always possible to be on friendly terms with people if they're not doing what they need to do. So, like, I, I would, you know, I always told people, I trust you until you give me a reason not to. I don't inherently, some managers, like, inherently don't trust people. So they manage them under fear and they, 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 they micromanage them because they feel like that's the only way that they can get product, product, you know, productivity out of people. And I, you know, if I, if I hire a person and I, and, I, and I interview you and I bring you into a company and I expect you to do a role, well, I, I expect you to do that, and, I, and until I find out that you're not doing it, I trust you. Now, once you have broken that trust and this has happened, I, I unfortunately have to, I have to step on you a little bit because I got to I gotta, I, get, I have to get this moving in the right direction, and I and we used to say we used to say we need to we need to manage them up or manage them out, and we need to find out like is this the right role for you because it's not doing anybody good to to keep a person in a particular role when it's not the right role, and not everyone is not everyone is meant for every job, and you know we think oh we're hurting this person because we have to let them go or whatever, but we're like a lot of times we're helping them because 
what's what's the alternative? They stay there for 20 years, they stay there for 10 years, and they waste 10 years of their life and they're miserable. So uh, I think it's almost impossible right. to always be – I think it's almost impossible to always be friendly because at some point, like, you are the boss and you have people to answer for. And when somebody is deliberately not doing their job or when they are deliberately not taking direction and you've done everything you can – you know, there's a time where you, you know, you have to start, you have to step in and and step on them and see if this is the right role and if there's something that can be done to save them. Because if not, then it's time to go. So. Exactly. 646-716-9397 is our phone number. If you guys want to call in, audible.com is our show sponsor. Undividedshow at gmail.com. If you want to email in some questions, that was a listener question. Here is another one. How can you lead people without being seen as, quote-unquote, a taskmaster, yet not getting taken advantage of for being, quote-unquote, nice? <laughs> Interesting question. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, uh, it's, a, it's a fine line, right? Because if you're too nice, people can, you know, can tend to take advantage of you. But I, I don't think that necessarily I – don't, I don't know if that's, always, that's not always the case. If you have the right people – and I find that the hardest thing to do is, and the most important thing that I that I um, that I like look back at my role is picking the right people. And it's very hard because when you go and you and you interview people, they are the best version of themselves on that interview, but their true self doesn't come out. Kind of like when you start dating. When I was dating girls back in the day, Frank, and you know this, like you you're you're meeting their representative for the first six months. And, right. you know, it takes, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of experience to really, really identify when somebody's being like a true person and somebody is being somebody that is just trying um, to, you know, get the, the wool over your eyes. So, you know, I, I look back at <clears throat> some of the best people that I hired at, at Comcast and, you know, my buddy Glenn, which who I'm very, very good friends with still to this day, you know, I, I, I met him in the interview. I immediately liked him, <clears throat> and he told me, he was like, hey, you tell me what to do. You tell me <clears throat> how to do it, and I will not ask questions. I'll put my head down, and I'll do it. And he has gone to President's Club now for this will be his third straight year, which is – and now he's a senior manager. So he went from being just a regular manager – I mean, just a regular rep to he, to be – he skipped over being – he skipped over all the proper channels and went directly to being a manager, then to a senior manager, and like had been in President's Club at every at every single role. Now, did he have it in him? Uh, absolutely. Like not everyone just has that in them, but he needed the right direction, and I gave him a roadmap. And he like is probably you know him and one other guy that I that I that I hired were are my biggest. I feel like my biggest accomplishments of working at that company. That is really great. That's awesome. Uh, and it's uh, something you know, I've had experience with because people say to me, oh, you're such a nice guy. You know, you get into that role, you know, people are going to, you know, maybe take advantage of that or you're too nice to be in, in that job. Uh, but I enjoy, you know, leading people and, uh, and talking to people about their personal development and what they want to do and how to facilitate that. Uh, in a better way. So I had a, a senior manager say to me once, and it's something that stuck with me is you don't have to necessarily be a hard person. 
you know, when people start moving away from center or away from where they should be, uh, as far as their performance or showing up, how they show up at work, as we talk about showing up in coaching, uh, how they show up, how they present themselves, you have to have a conversation with them and, and remind them of the expectations. And that always stuck with me because it's a very diplomatic way of doing it, is saying to them, hey, look, yep. the expectation is this, whether it's a dress code, whether it's a uh, way that you prepare for a presentation, whether it's a sales number situation, the expectation should be you should be at this metric uh, for this particular thing or at this metric for this particular thing or that you should show up in this way representing maybe a value of the company. So reminding them the expectation, and that's something that I come back to as a, a way that you can do that and not be heavy-handed, if you will. So I thought that I mentioned that in my own uh, situation. Yeah, I think like for for a guy like a guy like you, Frank, that is inherently a nice, good person. Like that is, you're going to tend to be nicer to your people than somebody that is inherently not a a nicer, good person. But that also doesn't mean that when it comes time and discipline needs to happen, like it doesn't mean that you like shy away from that or whatever. And people respect that. People respect when somebody can be, um, you know, can be a good, honest, and strong person, but also, um, and, you know, good, honest, and kind person. But then when it comes time, like, and you need to, like, lay down the law, like, you're not afraid to do that. And that, th- those are typically, for me, the, the best managers that, you know, not only can be, um, you know, be a, a good guiding force, but also like can call you on your, on your stuff when you're not doing the right thing. So I think that's, I think it's important to, uh, you know, on both ends. Oh, thank you. Yes. And that, uh, as someone reminded me too, they, they would say to me, okay, we have to make decisions on certain people and, you know, whether or not they're going to make it or not in, in a certain role. And, uh, it was a decision that's going to be made by two or three people. And I was one of them. And, and the other two people said to me, and you have to think of it because I care about people so much. You have to think about it. Not, it doesn't mean that we don't care about them as a person. It's kind of alluding to what you said before. If it's not the right role, it's not the right role for them. Uh, They wanted me to think of it as what was good for the business. And that stuck with me too, is thinking about it. Not necessarily that this person, you know, wasn't any good at their job, it just may not be the right role for them. And my job is really to think about the health of the overall business and say, okay, these decisions are going to be tough because you never want to have someone be out of work, but maybe they don't have to be. Maybe we can find something else that they can do. And that always made me feel better in those situations. Let's, we're not going to keep you here, but we have this move that you can make. That's you should maybe, it's not tied to a sales goal or something like that. We actually have a listener question that just popped up that I thought was interesting. And here it is. Uh, how do you lead someone who constantly makes errors in the same area, but then each time you lead them to resolve it, it's the same pattern? So how do you lead someone who constantly makes errors in the same area, but then each time you lead them to resolve it, it results in the same pattern? Do you have a, uh, any words of, of advice on that, Scott? Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, you have to, you know, if, if, if 
okay, so if you've gone through something and you've coached somebody on, on the same issue over and over and it doesn't seem like they get it, you know, <laughs> so at some point you have to figure out if it's something they're capable of doing. Like, is it within their, is it within their ability to learn this? Like, some things are just, and, and, and the role that I have now, I'm in, I'm in a pretty technical role. So I, I have, you know, technology stuff that there's a certain amount of it that's over my head and there's a certain amount of it, like, that I might not, never understand because it's, I'm, my brain ne- may not necessarily work that way. So I think if you are working with somebody and they are not getting it and you're, and you're on the fifth or sixth time and it's affecting the way that, you know, your time or whatever it might be, well, that's, that's hindering, that's hindering your, that's hindering the organization, that's hindering you. So I think that's tough. Like, you know, if it's something that's not like mission critical, then maybe you have them work with somebody else that is very good at it. I used to pair people up based on their ability. I'd have people on my team that were very, very good at cold calling, and I had people on my team that were very, very good at building relationships with vendors. And then I would have them work together because one person was very good at going out and talking to people while the other person was good, good at going to lunch and talking to a vendor. But understanding where, where one person's weakness was um, is important because then you can pair them up with people that can actually help and they can kind of mentor them. Um, because if you've done it five or six times and they're not getting it, they might never get it. So really your best bet is finding somebody that's very good about it and having them work with them very closely and see if they can kind of get them to understand what you're trying to accomplish. That's really good advice. Great answer. That's really good advice. Uh, in my own experience, I've done that a little bit myself with, with people and uh, having them work together because maybe the way I explain it, they're not getting and someone else may explain the same type of exercise, whatever it is, to fix that area of, uh, that's problematic, uh, especially, as you said, if it's not mission critical. If it's mission critical, that to me, that's a whole other conversation uh, because then if you're not in the position to take action on that person, then you have to go to the person that is and say, hey, look, we might have a problem with Jimmy, as as we would say. You know, uh, Jimmy over here isn't cutting the mustard, you know, here, here, here. And I'm constantly, you know, reminding them of these errors and showing them how to, to make changes and they keep going back down that rabbit hole. What are we going to do about this? And it was a long-term thing. So I think that there's, there's two parts to that. Uh, but that was great advice. Have them work with someone that, Uh, might have a different approach and see if the results change in in coaching. You know, we've gone into different situations where you look at the energy level of some of these companies and organizations uh, just so flat, you know, the, when you have someone, especially if it's like a family business, like you were alluding to before, you know, the business you worked in New York city, I've been into some family businesses where, you know, you go in there and the culture is just so downtrodden that everyone is, you know, uh, so like defeatist almost because the people that run the company from the family have a certain way of doing things and treat everyone else very badly. And, you know, well, I'm never going to be in the family. <laughs> so how am I going to, one, get to progress up the chain here? And then, two, do I really want to? And there was this, it can really define the culture of a workplace when you have real authoritative people at the top that are micromanaging and, Uh, make people feel really belittled. So it's important to have a constructive environment where people, you know, feel like it's, they're almost like consulted in certain points and encouraged 
to utilize their skills and talents for the betterment of, of the whole group. Uh, what in your experience, uh, Scott, this is one of our last questions here, um, is the greatest challenge to being a leader in the workplace? Excuse me. <clears throat> what in your experience is the greatest challenge to being a leader in the workplace? I think definitely the, the greatest challenge, um, and we talked about this, is definitely finding the right people. Because if you find the right people and you put them in the right spot, then those are the, those are the kind of people that you could trust and you, and you hired them for a reason because they were very good and you thought that they were going to be able to do what you hired them to do. And you don't have to micromanage them. You don't have to, like, look after them. They just go and do. So I think the, the most important thing is finding good people. Um, and then the, I think probably second, second being just, um, just, like, really understanding people and having a good sense of, like, you know, what motivates them and what, you know, why does this person do what they do? And what can I get them? Like my, I always said my role is people are going to get to a particular water line when whatever that line is, my job is to figure out how to get you past that because you are going to find a particular line that you're going to get to. My job is now to figure out how to get you past that line. So, um, Really, for me, I, you know, I always wanted to, like, connect with people, understand who they were, what their motivations were, and, like, what I can do to get them to whatever the goal was. And to me, that is way more satisfying. Now, yes, it's satisfying to make money, of course. But, like, when you see other people do well and you see other people um, be able to, like, do things they weren't able to do before because of some of the help you gave them, that, that to me is the most satisfying. It really is, you know, to have that, as you said before, you, your accomplishments are these people that were promoted, the two instances you mentioned before. You know, you got those people and you helped them discover that potential within themselves. And a lot of leadership is coaching and mentoring. And so when you can mentor someone and coach them around something that, might have been holding them back, and then you see the results. That's very gratifying on another level. Uh, in life coaching, it's a similar thing. Uh, helping someone achieve something that initially they would come to you in, it, with a limiting belief again um, and say, well, I'm never going to achieve this because last year, for instance, I interviewed for three jobs and I got passed over on all three and all the managers were you know, experienced and they were 40 years old. Well, that doesn't mean that you're, you know, just because of those factors, the same thing is going to happen. So we've got to get beyond those limitations and we've got to get beyond the, the criticism that their inner critic is providing and kind of get them focused on uh, positive energy and positive results and what steps they can take to show up, as we mentioned before, uh, better and show up prepared and uh, ready to change that narrative. Uh, to break the chain there, as we say. So our final segment of our show, and I thank you so much for staying around and, and uh, uh, indulging me with the time and with all the questions, we call Common Ground. And at other points, uh, thank you. Uh, at other points in other shows, it's how do we find common ground on a particular issue that might have divided people? Uh, here, as we alluded to before, people can feel divided in their workplace 
by a boss that's uh, a bad boss, a bullying type of uh, figure uh, versus someone that's more of a leader or a mentor. So how do we find common ground in being a leader and being what they would say, like not too bossy, yet, as you said before, knowing when to step on someone, uh, knowing when to push those buttons to get them to rise to the occasion and to achieve results. So what would those first steps be as far as finding common ground? Maybe you're someone that your leadership style has to change in order to get those results if you've come to that realization. How would you go about doing it? Well, I think I think you have to be flexible. I think you have to um, – you definitely have to be able to roll with things because – no matter how much you think you understand people and human nature, like people are going to surprise you and people are going to do things that are, are, are definitely things that you did not expect. So I think, you know, being able, I think it all comes down to like, you know, I always, um, I went to, I went to therapy for, for a long time um, after my mom passed away and like that, amount of time that I was in that gave me like an understanding of myself better than I had ever understood myself before. And I think that although that wasn't like what I went there for, because I really wanted to go there for just to like, kind of like cope, but like for, for me, I came out of it with, you know, understanding like how certain things were not my fault, but it also gave me a better understanding of who I was and why I was the way I, I, I am. So that allows me personally when I interact with with people that either are in control of my fate being like managers that I have it helps me understand how I need to to navigate either managers or authoritative people in a in a particular way but it also helps me understand like how I need to like take each situation individually like you can't treat um two people exactly the same. Everything has to be different. So if I can come to some kind of common ground um, with everyone, it really is just that, like, I'm going to take the time to to understand who you are. I'm going to take the time to understand, like, why you are the way you are. And then in doing that, I'm, I'm then tasking you with, you know, the job of figuring out how to do what we're trying to accomplish here. So I think it's just important to, like, really – get a good understanding of people. And uh, for me, that was the, that's the most important thing is that like, if you can connect with people, then they're going to work hard for you. They're going to work harder than it would have if it was just, if it was just them trying to figure, you know, stuff out. Thank you for sharing that. It did. It did. Thank you for sharing that too. And thank you for going where you did with it. And, I think that's important for people to to know and understand uh, if they're trying to make those steps to if they're doing things, which which can happen. I've known people that have have changed their style. Maybe they realize they've got to adapt so that they can you know, reach people and achieve results as well, and change how they approach you know their own situation as a manager or a leader. Uh, so, Scott, anything you want to add as far as your own situation, you know, Hunter Technologies, things that you're up to, uh, that sort of thing? 
Uh, you know, I mean, really, I want to thank you for the opportunity to talk in this in this type of form. I think it's um, I think it's definitely very cool. I think anybody that's listening and that doesn't know you as a person, I mean, I met Frank the the like first day of soccer practice in my freshman year, and we've been best friends ever since. And um, anybody that's listening that has the opportunity to um, to talk with you, and you've been, you know, uh, a, a, the closest friend that I've ever had. And I always say, like, I have a lot of friends that I go out with and I hang out with and have drinks with. But, like, there's very few people that I can, like, you know, confidently call and know that they, like, will listen and have, like, a very good conversation. So if anybody is in a role that um, – if anybody is in a position where they could – you know, use you in the role of, of life coach or whatever it might be. Like they are in a very good position because there should be, in my opinion, there's nobody better that cares more or listens better or understands like, you know, what, when, you know, think that things are, things can be hard and things are, can be great. But I think if anybody's out there and is, and is on the board uh, is on the fence, I think that uh, it'd be a great opportunity to work with Frank. So. Oh, thank you so much for saying that, man. I appreciate that. No problem, man. And and call me at Hunter it's Technology nice. if you need, and, if you need a phone system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you need a phone system, you know who to call. If you need to reach uh, Scott, you can reach him, contact me, and um, my website uh, or at undividedshow at gmail.com. My website is www.frankjamadurycoaching.com. Uh, thank you so much, Scott, for saying that, for your time on here and for sharing your experiences. I think it's really helped the listeners. We had a couple of listener uh, uh, emails and uh, uh, feedback here with questions why we were on air, which was really cool. Uh, so I thank you for that. So that definitely this conversation resonated uh, with a lot of people and certainly will as it lives in the archives, as I like to say, uh, through iTunes, you can get this show through iTunes. You can get it through Blog Talk Radio, uh, Life Coach Radio Networks, our website, uh, and or by Googling me and Googling the show Undivided, uh, you can get the archive version, which will soon be available. So thank you, Scott, for your time, for coming on. Uh, your friendship has been a true on, blessing. Right, Absolutely. Your friendship has been a true blessing in my life. It really has. And so we're going to wrap up the show here now uh, with some upcoming show promos, as we usually do, and then I'll let you know about my next show. Mark Shaw comes your way. Big coach, big name, Mark Shaw. He took a little break from the show that he has here on our network, but he'll be back. Mark my words with Mark Shaw, 9 p.m. Eastern, Sunday, January the 21st, on Life Coach Radio Network. That's Mark Shaw. Mark my words. Great show if you've never listened into it. 9 p.m. Eastern, Sunday, January the 21st, on Life Coach Radio Network. And Brenda Baird returns with a new episode as she just got through that uh, mini series that I was telling everyone about, Home for the Holidays and How to Survive the Holidays at Home with Your Family. Now they're transitioning into some different leadership kind of back to the uh, format of the show prior to the holiday shows that they did. 7 p.m. Central, that's Tuesday, January the 23rd. 7 p.m. Central time, 8 p.m. Eastern. Brenda Baird, brand new show on leadership. 
If you're in a leadership position, be sure to check that out. That's Tuesday, January 23rd over on Life Coach Radio Network. My next show, and I will promo for Catholic Charities again, 800-919-9338. That's Catholic Charities, 800-919-9338. is Food for the Poor. 828-262-1980. That's 828-262-1980. Samaritan's Purse. Or go to SamaritansPurse.org. All those organizations do work in developing world countries. And be sure to check that out if you're looking for a charity to give to. My next show coming up is episode number 15, believe it or not, February the 7th. My next show will be with Nick Marchese. will be along with me at 7 p.m. Wednesday, February the 7th. So we have the three-week break, I want to remind everyone. It's first and third Wednesday. So I'm on a three-week break. I'll be back on February the 7th. Nick and I are going to talk about, he's an aspiring filmmaker. We're going to be talking about using film to unite people. That's the tentative title of that episode. It's going to be something around that, using the art of film to unite people. So this has been episode 14. Thank you to Scott for coming along. Thank you to our listeners, for Russ Terry and Trina Ramsey, for Danica Treble and everyone at Life Coach Radio Network. Thank you all for allowing me to do what I do. This has been episode number 14, Being a Leader Instead of a Boss. I will see you guys on February the 7th at my next show. And until then, as always, be blessed and be well.